Bonjour, bonjour, and welcome to another episode of EveryoneHatesMarketers.com, the digital marketing podcast for tech marketers who are sick of shady, aggressive marketing. I'm your host, Louis Grenier. As I told you in the last episode, I do read all of your emails, and I do receive quite a lot now, thanks to this podcast, and I love reading them because it always gives me a new perspective on things. It always kind of challenge my thinking and make me try to come up with episodes that actually answer those questions. So if you do have any questions, even small, and you think they're silly or that prevents you from sending me an email, please don't. Just send me this email, right? You, you are not going to regret it. I do read every single email and it makes me a better marketer because I can understand you guys better. So you can send me an email at Louis. L-O-U-I-S at everyonehatesmarketers.com with your question or comment or feedback. I welcome any of them. So in this episode, you're going to learn what is website personalization. It's a bit of a buzzword, and this is why we're going to try to debunk it together with my guest. We're going to explain what it is, how it works, and how to actually get started in your business today. And you don't need to be a big multinational to set up website personalization. We're going to show you how. So who's my guest today? Well, he is Brennan Dunn. Brennan Dunn, you might know him from doubleyourfreelancing.com. But in this episode, we're not gonna, going to talk about freelancing. As you guessed, we're going to talk about his new product, writemessage.io, and how website personalization work in general. So what are you going to learn in this episode? You're going to learn what is website personalization, how it works, how to get it started in your business, even if it's a small business, with some simple ideas you can implement and test, and a step-by-step -step methodology, as usual. You're used to that now. So have a listen, and let me know what you think. Hey, Brendan, thank you so much for, for being on the show. It's a real pleasure. I'm going to tell you something I haven't told you uh, before, even though we talked just before this episode. You have a, a website called uh, doubleyourfreelancing.com, which is a resource to help freelancers and consultants to, to become better freelancers or be, uh, become better consultants. And a few months ago, I was a consultant and I used to struggle with pricing. I used to, to, to charge per hour and I used to really struggle making money. And I read a few of your resources and I switched to value-based pricing. And it was tough at the start. I remember the clients telling me, are you crazy? Like, is this how much you're going to like price this? And I would always push back and I managed to really get big projects thanks to the way you're describing this, this value-based uh, pricing. So thank you so much because you helped me quite a lot in my previous business. Absolutely. No, I, I love hearing that. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, it's funny. A lot of people, when they hear, when they hear charging more or value-based pricing or not commodity pricing or, or whatever you want to call it, the natural thinking is, well, it's just some sort of, and I think this is very apropos of your podcast, but I think it's some sort of like tactic you can use to find a way to get somebody to pay you more for something. Right. And my whole thing is helping people deliver really a better product that demands a better price. Right. So that's what the focus is. It's all about how can you know, how can I help people? And hopefully this is what happened with you. How can I help people learn how to better position what it is they're selling so it becomes more of a premium product that is worth more? Yeah. So the pricing is a is a byproduct of the product exactly. itself. Exactly. And, and I switch a few things around uh, based on that. So, yeah. Today is not about that, though. It's not about value-based pricing. I mean, it's not about freelancing or consulting. It's about something that is really interesting and I, I'm, 
it's interesting that you made the move, not the move, but you, you've also started to be involved in this project we're going to talk about quite soon. So here is the problem we're going to try to solve in this episode. Most websites, I don't want to do stats that don't make any sense, but let's say 95% of websites will show the exact same thing to everybody, right? I would say most marketing websites and blogs, it's probably a bit higher than that. But yeah, for the most part. So 99%, let's just come up with numbers out of the blue, 99%. Most, most websites will show you the exact same thing, regardless of you are a new visitor or if you are somebody who came, who come back to the website every day and who subscribe to the email newsletter, right? Correct. So what are the problems with this approach? That approach really isn't that bad of a thing. I mean, it obviously works for a lot of companies. The issue though is that the way I like to explain it to people is that you, your website's purpose is probably to sell something, right? It, it's to sell them on putting their email address to get on your email list or to you know, put in their credit card to buy something from you. That's the job of your website is to sell. And what the unfortunate thing is, when you're trying to speak to every possible person who could benefit from, say, joining your email list or buying from you, you're needing to generalize your copy in such a way that it has very wide appeal, right? Now, some people go all in on a niche and really focus on a particular type of person who has a particular type of problem. And they end up having very specific copy that works very well. The issue though, is that you're kind of locked into that one niche. And a lot of us have products or services that could benefit many different types of problems or types of people, for instance, with a, a core set of problems. So the real issue is if somebody needs to think about like, you know, they're looking at your website and they need to think, is this right for me? A lot of people are going to fall through that funnel and fall out of it, right? A lot of people are going to think, well, you know, I mean, in my case, so I have training products for freelancers and a freelancer could be a web designer, a programmer, a marketer, a writer, it could be an agency um, who is somehow reading my stuff. And the issue is, you know, I would get emails from designers saying, hey, I read your, uh, you know, I'm looking at this product of yours. It's obvious you are a software developer by training. Can this actually help me? And it was funny because I knew, you know, I'm just teaching people how to sell. It doesn't really, you know, what you're selling is really immaterial, right? As long as you're selling to a different business. So I was getting emails like that. And I realized for every email that I got like that, there was probably like hundreds or thousands of people who had that same internal thought and closed the tab. So what I started thinking, and this started, started for me back in 2013, when I was running another uh, company of mine called PlanScope that I don't run any longer, but I was thinking like, why not make it so if you're on my list, you don't see opt-ins, like don't show them a pop-up, don't show them an exit modal, don't show them any of that stuff. If they're on my list and they haven't bought something, maybe just promote the thing they haven't bought and they have bought that, maybe promote the next thing, uh, you know, the next product that I have or something like that, right? And technically it's not hard. I mean, it's just changing the content that your web browser shows the person and you log into Amazon or Netflix or Facebook and that's what's happening there. So why not do that on our marketing sites or on our blog or other kind of like static websites? Um, so that's what I've been focusing on. I have a lot of data and things to share about how that's performed for me that we could get into. But um, yeah, I mean, again, my whole thing is if you're talking to somebody, if I was talking to you, Louis, and I knew you're in Ireland, uh, you know, you run a podcast, you're, you know, working at Hotjar and all these different things. I'm going to know information about you that would change the way that I would describe, say, my product to you. And that's what we all do offline. We do that over the phone. If I'm emailing you, 
I'm going to describe, I have a kind of a pitch, but I'm going to tailor it to be focused to you. And that's all we're talking about is why not do the same on our product pages or sales pages or, you know, whatever else. Right. So I'm thinking of actually doing this on my podcast at the minute. If you land on everyoneheismarketers.com, the only thing you see is basically a blog with all the latest episodes. There is a lead email box on the right side of it that doesn't really offer a lot of value. And that's pretty much it. So I'm actually thinking of switching to having a very, very simple landing page with, you know, two or three paragraphs, uh, an email subscription box and some value attached to it. And then the episode, if you want to link, uh, to link that to them. So, uh, you know, I'm a small, I'm a once, I'm, I'm a one man show. And therefore in my head, it's like, Hmm, it seems like only big brands can do this kind of stuff can, can personalize websites. Yeah. And that's the, that's the fear people have. Well, there, there's the technical fear of this is a lot of work to implement technically, but then there's the whole, well, you know, the, the complaint I would get often would be, well, let's say there's five different types of people who could buy my product or opt in here or something like that. Does that mean I need to have five different sales pages or five different sets of sales copy written or something like that? Technically, yes, it used to be kind of a pain um, for my own stuff. I double your freelancing, which has a ton of personalization is also backed or it used to be backed, I should say, with a lot of arbitrary custom code. But um, actually, earlier this year in 2017, I broke ground on basically a front end for a lot of the underlying code, the engine that I've been writing over the last few years that makes it, um, you know, basically optimizely style, be able to point and click and make changes. But tying those changes to things like, are they on my list or did they come from this website or are they in this segment? And that's the kind of stuff that I've been, uh, well, not me, but myself and my uh, co-partner or partner in the business, Shy have been doing uh, with right message. Um, so we've eliminated the technical gap. It's basically you include a line of JavaScript on your site and that's it. Um, but also on the other side, when it comes to, well, this is a lot of work to actually do. What I've also been telling people is, you know, for my own stuff, I'm tweaking wording. I'm not rewriting whole blocks of copy. I'm changing a few words. I'm changing an image. I'm swapping out a testimonial. I mean, it makes sense if you're on a website and let's say you were sent to that website from a design blog um, and you see testimonials from other designers, that makes sense because probably the traffic coming from that site is made up of designers. And that's all we're talking about is just being able to change a few things sprinkled throughout a whole website. Okay. So let's picture me as a potential client or somebody that will be interested in, in the personalization service. Now, I don't want to turn this uh, interview into a hardcore sales pitch where you, we, we just <laughs> plug your product. So let's, yes. let's, let's take a step back and, and think about, you know, everyone hates marketers.com as, as an example. I have nothing sure. set up there. Let's try to go into a step-by-step -step process that will enable me to have some sort of personalization that doesn't involve thousands of euros or dollars uh, invested and a lot sure. of technical stuff. So what would be the very first step? The very first thing that I would do is so you really only have, I mean, outside of list, I, I assume when people get on your list, when you come out with a new episode, you email everyone with the yeah, correct. article or the new episode. Cool. So, you know, if they're, all, if they're not on your list, what you have now, which is the sidebar called action. Let me see if your episodes have called actions too. Yes. Uh, okay, you do. At the end of each episode, you've got another opt-in widget. Um, what I would do, and, me, and this is what I tell everyone, like if you're going to do, a, at a minimum, anything, 
if I'm on your list and you're sending me back to your site, right? So you, I'm looking at the Philip Morgan episode you released. If I came back to your site through clicking on a link in that you sent me, why am I seeing your email opt-in? Why am I seeing any of that stuff? I should be seeing, I don't know what would be next. Well, probably what you should be doing would be, and this is something I've been helping some people do also, which is if they're not on your list, get them on your list. But if they are on your list, get them to share it. So the call to action could be primarily a, you know, big share on Facebook, big share on Twitter type thing that just gets them to promote this to their own network. And the benefit is, let's say they share it on Twitter or Facebook, people click over from there, they're not on your list and now they're seeing the opt-in form. So it's kind of, you know, I mean, you're, you're basically wasting real estate right now by having an opt-in form uh, for people who are already on your list. So that's the very first thing I would do. Now, I don't know, I mean, you don't really have, like a product or whatnot, uh, to offer subscribers, right? No. So, I mean, that would be, if you did, that would make become a kind of a natural next step, I would think. Right. Um, being able to do something like that, being able to have, um, you know, I, I don't know what it would be for you, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Right. Having some sort of next step type thing. But I, I think for most people, anyone who's bought into the whole content marketing, I'm going to write articles, I'm going to throw like, you know, opt-in widgets from Sumo or opt-in monster, or in, in your case, you've got the ConvertKit uh, embedded form. You know, anyone who's bought into the approach of I'm going to create free content and hopefully that, that free content will get people to, to opt in. That's the very first thing I think you should do is keep what you have now for anonymous people, but for known visitors, show something a little more appealing, right? So, so let me just uh, go back. I, I don't think that what we're talking about here is step one. I think it's probably step two or step three. Uh, I, I would say the first step is actually to figure out what you want to upsell your, your funnel people, yeah, right? Exactly. Right. You're, you're, and that's exactly, I mean, it, 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 I mean, basically it's most companies have some sort of funnel. If it's a software product, it's, you have anonymous people on your site. Maybe they opt into your newsletter. Maybe they, they opt into a lead magnet. And then from there, they start a trial and then people on a trial need to convert and then people are a customer. You want them to either upgrade or not churn. So that would be like the typical linear funnel for a software business, like most software businesses. Um, but yeah, you're right. I mean, it could be if you have, let's say information products, you could have multiple paths that could go down. So a lot of it, yes, does require you to think about what is my funnel. But I would also say, even if you haven't done that, it's just, I think it's good user experience to not, I mean, I hate it when I'm on a, I was just on a friend of mine's, friend of mine's list. She wrote a new article linked me to her site from, you know, she emails me with the link to the article and I go to the site, I go to read the article and I'm hit with this giant welcome mat thing. That's, you know, the slide down from the top and then there's exit pop-ups in the little slide in from the bottom, right. And it's just annoying me being on her list, knowing she has my email. Why is she asking for my email? everywhere. Right. So I would say that, I mean, tactically do those things work? Yes. But I would argue that they lead to a very poor user experience when somebody is already on your list or a customer of yours. Yeah. So step one, figure out your funnel if you haven't done so. Um, before going into the technicality of how to set up such a, such a system um, and perhaps giving many options that people can use, uh, what would be, so you mentioned a few wins, but what would, what you, what would be the, the lowest hanging fruits that would bring the most value to, to people? Um, so you mentioned one, once you are a subscriber to an email list, do not show me 
uh, the email pop up again or, or, or an email opt-in box. What, uh, what will be another, like kind of the lowest hanging fruit that you see normally? Well, if you're talking about overall being able to optimize for conversions. So let's say getting more subscribers. Another thing that works extremely well is let's say that uh, certain people are sending traffic to your website. And uh, the example I like to give, you're using ConvertKit, so uh, you know you know them and their company. Uh, Pat Flynn of Smart Passive Income sends a lot of traffic to ConvertKit because he's a big affiliate of theirs. And the thing that should be done, which is done to a degree, but I think they could do more of, would be that if somebody like Pat is sending a lot of traffic to their site, the headline should be something like the email marketing app that Pat Flynn trusts. There should be Pat Flynn testimonials everywhere. When you're on the features page, considering the traffic came from a, a source that cares about passive income, the feature should focus on the automation capabilities of ConvertKit. When you're on the pricing page, another testimonial or something from Pat Flynn just to really drive home, like this is the thing that he uses, and likewise on the sign-up page. That kind of stuff, where I'm calling these branded referrals, where you're able to look at the major sources of traffic you get and say, people coming from here care about automation. People from coming from here care about design. People coming from here care about starting a podcast. And then knowing uh, what kind of traffic these major channels send you, doing minor tweaks to headlines and maybe the testimonials that are shown on that. And it doesn't need to be, you could start small. You could start with literally just changing a headline um, and then go more complex from there. But that's another big thing that I've seen work incredibly well for people. Because again, it makes sense. If I'm on Pat Flynn's site, presumably I trust him. Presumably I'm self-selecting into an audience that cares about passive income. And then I click on a link from his site to somewhere else you know, still, I trust Pat and I care about passive income. The receiving site, the site that I'm now on should take that into account and tailor the messaging based off that. Okay. So that's a, that's the second thing. And to be honest with you, I don't think I've ever heard that before. Uh, the ability to, to segment, uh, to change the content of your website based on where people are coming from. Uh, so that's pretty clever, especially if you talk about specific websites, such as, as you said, Pat Flynn website. If you know that people are coming from there, then you can, you can, uh, you can change the content based on that. So that's a very, very good second kind of lowest hanging fruit. Uh, what will be another one? Another one would be one thing that I've done a lot of, which is probably in terms of ROI, the best thing I've ever done, uh, personalization wise is making it so when you're reading a sales page of mine, so I, you know, my, my main business, Double Your Freelancing, has uh, products that it sells that are sold with long-form copy. And what I've done is I've made it so, for instance, when you join my list, I ask you what kind of work you do. Um, when, you know, when you join an email course, I might ask you what is the thing that you're looking to, to get help with immediately. So if you tell me you're a designer, and you're an agency and you're look, you're really struggling to close proposals, when you go to, say, the W freelancing rate sales page, every instance of the word freelancer is now design agency. Uh, the headline is about designers struggling with proposals. And the offer ultimately is about how the product I'm selling will help you close more deals by giving you a better process for sales. So for somebody like that, they're going to look at this and say, wow, this was meant exactly for me. And it's not over. I'm not, there's no giant pop-up saying like, 
you know, hey, Louis, I know you're a designer. You should buy this or something like that. It's just <laughs> a lot of subtle changes where the next page view might be a developer who's a freelancer who's looking to start value pricing. They're going to get the same product pitched, but it's going to be pitched differently. And things like the headlines and the usage of the word freelancer will now be freelance developer. That kind of stuff has been ridiculously effective. And it makes sense why. Because if I was talking, if I was at a development conference talking to a freelance developer and they were asking about my, my product, I would describe it to them the way that they're seeing it now on, um, you know, on the sales page. Yeah. And that's the thing, right? In real life, when you meet somebody, this is what you naturally do. You would ask uh, his or her name. You would ask uh, what he does. You would ask uh, the type of problems they are suffering from, what they are looking for. You would ask all of those questions naturally in a kind of a normal conversation. And therefore, as you said, you would tailor what you're saying to them uh, exactly based on this information. But yet on websites, we don't necessarily have the know-how or the technology to do so. And it's a bit complex. You know, where do I start? I have like so many different traffic sources coming to the, my website, so many different personas. I don't know where to start. So I think that's where we can go uh, next. Um, you, you, you started to touch on that, um, but would you, so you would probably focus on your biggest traffic sources, right? You are not going to try to tailor. I wouldn't try to classify every referral that sends traffic to me. I would, I would focus on a few things. What are the big sources of traffic I keep getting? And also what are the main landing pages that I'm getting people landing on from Google? Because while Google is not sending keyword data, if a lot of people are clicking on the, uh, you know, going to Google and finding me through an article on like client emails for designers, let's say, I can assume they're a designer from that, right? And then I can put them in that segment automatically. Okay. Um, so tell me about the return of it on investment that that people will will typically have uh, if they set up such a personalization features on their website. Like, what did you see? Okay, so on the, the sales page I just talked about, which was the way people get to generally, I don't know if you went through this, probably not since you've been on my list for a while, but nowadays it's mostly uh, you go to my main call to action on my site is getting people in an email course that eventually promotes double your freelancing rate. The email course starts out by asking people through a trigger link, which one of the three are you look, did you join this, this email course wanting help with proposals? value pricing, or you have no idea how to price, you just want some guidance. And then when you opt into that email course, I also ask you what kind of work do you do? Are you a designer, developer, writer, marketer, and so on. So I know two points of data, right? So let so, me cut you right here. I'm sorry to, yeah. to do that to you, but no I think it's important two things to say. First of all, trigger link is a link that enables, that tag this person with a, something that you can then use in the future. So I click on yeah. this link and it tags me in your CRM as this person click on it. So you can use this as an event then to, to segment uh, further, right? Exactly. Yep. That's the first thing. And the second thing that you say naturally, that it seems obvious to you because you've been doing that for years, but it's, uh, I don't know if you picked it up from a book uh, called the ask method, or if you just came up with that. On I know own. about that, but I haven't, I yeah. honestly haven't read the book. Yeah. It's basically, the, it's the obvious. Like I, I think when you're a good marketer that really try to understand people deeply, you try to, to segment them and understand their biggest problem, but there's a good resource to, to drill into that in the, how to, how to segment the people you're talking to, not based on personas, but really based on what they're looking to do. Well, what key problem exactly. are they suffering from? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, 
that there is a good, a good book called The Ask Method, which is really actionable, actually, uh, that I read. Uh, and that, that kind of, um, that was kind of similar to what you said. So if people are looking for an action plan, something to do, I think that could be a good resource to start. So sorry to cut you. You can. No problem. So I have two points of data that I will end up using eventually. So again, I, I know what is it, what is the pain that got them to opt in? So what is it like that the free email course is kind of a lead up to the paid course? So what do they need the free, like if they opted in, they wanted, they were expecting that it would help them in some way. And I want to know what that way is. And the other thing again, is I get what kind of technical work they do. So using these two points of data, by the time they get through the email course and then get pitched on the paid product and are sent to the sales page, those bits of data are used to personalize small bits of the, of the uh, sales page. That alone, I'm changing the headline, the usage of the word freelancer and the way I pitch the offer has increased overall sales from that funnel by 1.7x. So about a, so what would that be? A 70% lift in overall sales, which I'm very happy with considering uh, it didn't take a lot of time to do. Um, but what's really, and it makes sense why it would do that, right? I mean, it, people want more specific. They want to know how this is for them, how, how this can help them. So by speaking to them, by just saying, you know, as a designer, as a writer, as a marketer, I mean, people are just going to think like, oh, this, this person gets me. You know, that, that's what they want to know is that you understand their needs. Um, so it's a way of, in a way, empathizing online. Yeah, it's a way. It's a way to transcribe what you're doing in real life into into an online situation. Right. Uh, so one, yeah. So 70% increase by personalizing makes sense, right? Because as you said, you want to feel like you're understood. You want to feel that that the person who's trying to sell me something or at least teach me something understands me deeply. Um, so that doesn't surprise me, right? So those are the examples we gave. We gave. Well, that's one. Right. I've got one more. Go on. Uh, that I can tell you. Yeah. So the other big thing has been for overall opt-ins, and. Um, I'm sure a lot of people listening are familiar with the idea of a content upgrade where you write an article and then you have a really a call to action made specifically for that article. And usually, oftentimes, a good content upgrade can get like a 20% plus opt-in rate, which is really, really good. And I was thinking about why is it that they do so well? And they do well because they're relevant. You're reading an article about, you know, five things to do when starting a business and then the content upgrade is get the five-step checklist or something, right? About starting a business. It's very, that's a much better uh, call to action than a join my newsletter for future articles or something like that, right? So that works really well. And why does it work well? Because it's very relevant to the reader. So one thing I've been doing on Double Your Freelancing is I track the kind of content someone's reading. So if you're not on my list and you're going, you're reading articles on proposals or marketing or pricing, I'm looking at that and I'm seeing what is the kind of article you're reading the most of. And then what will happen is if you were to go to double your freelancing right now in an incognito browser, you're going to see something, I mean, depending on when you listen to it, but you'll probably see something along the lines of there's a hero called action on the front page that says, and this has helped 20,000 freelancers learn how to better price themselves. And then it, you know, input your email and choose what kind of work you do. If you were to go and start reading articles on proposals and then go back to the homepage, it's going to say, so 20,000 plus freelancers learn how to close more proposals. So that's there. And then that also affects the universal call to action. That's at the footer of every article. Um, and really the call to action is site wide. So I'm tracking what kind of interest you have and I'm tailoring, 
I'm not actually, I don't have like X many different lead magnets. I have a single lead magnet that I position differently depending on the kind of content you're reading. So I, I describe how this course will help you better sell if you're reading about marketing. I describe how this course will help you close more proposals if you're reading about, you know, proposals. So that kind of stuff has helped me from a organic anonymous, meaning somebody from Google who I, is not on my list yet, used to get about a 2% opt-in rate for them, uh, say, hitting an article and then opting in. That's now going to 5% just by doing this, just by making it so, you know, I'm, I'm <laughs> the call to action is focused on the kind of stuff they're reading. And again, it, it's the same principles as why do content upgrades work, but it's just on a more non-specific, non-article specific level. Um, I also have built-in surveying or things like, now I've had people from like design blogs who link to me. I assume that traffic is made up of designers. So when, if you come from a design blog and then you're reading articles and proposals, the call to action will literally say designers colon learn how to close more proposals. And again, it's just, I don't, do I know for a fact that they're a designer? No, but if they're coming from a design blog, I'm guessing they might be. And it's worth kind of the risk of that. They might not be a designer, right? But it's, that stuff has been ridiculously effective. It's, it's, it's funny because this is the type of thing that I love because it's so simple. Like it makes so much sense. And yet we don't do it. I don't do it. My opt-in, I mean, at the time you're listening to this, epi to this episode, I'm, I, I probably would have changed things around on the website and improved stuff, but still I'm nowhere to be where I, I, I want to be. Um, and not everybody is doing it. I mean, far from it. So now I think you've teased us quite a lot with a lot of ideas and stuff we can do. Um, now let's get into the actionable stuff. Uh, how can one actually set that up, let's say, to more on their website, if, whether it's a small consulting website or a big software company website? Okay. Um, I'll list three different ways for each, each way. Um, some of them you, you can't e easily do, but things like hiding the opt-in form are relatively easy to do. So the, on the requires coding, but is free and simple way. Uh, one thing to do would be, let's say they opt in your list, like a opt-in form, write a cookie that says like opted in set to one, and then basically just have code like JavaScript code or something that says, if this cookie's present, don't show the opt-ins. That's the simplest way to do this, right? That's how I started. It's one simple way to do it. Now that's not going to get you the ability to do like tracking behavioral content consumption and then changing dynamic, you know, having dynamic call to actions that reflect that it's going to require a bit more coding. Um, so yeah, I mean, there, obviously there's a way to do this. If you think about it, the, the way I look at it is when you log into Netflix or Amazon or Facebook, it's personalized to you, but it is tied to you in your, uh, account, right? So you log into Netflix, you log into Facebook and we expect it. We expect it. Okay. This is a web app. Of course it's personalized to me. What I look at it is if I opt into your list or you send me an email that has in the URL some indicator of my contact ID, you should be able to use your email marketing app. So for you ConvertKit as a database of stuff you know about me. And then I can read it. You could read and write from that. Right. So, you know, in this case, if they opt in, there's now they're now known. They're identified. You've got a relationship between that person and, or that browser, we should say, and that record in ConvertKit. And then you can do stuff with that, right? You can look at like 
they're tagged with customer. Okay, cool. They're a customer. Let's not show them this. And then you can do a lot of interesting things like that, right? Um, so that's that's kind of on the do it yourself, <laughs> have fun <laughs> sort of route, right? Um, middle could be you could use conceivably a tool like uh, Optimizely or a Visual Website Optimizer, which is meant for A/B testing, and you could just make it so a variation is run 100% of the time, and that variation you could look for say that cookie, right? We're looking to see does that cookie that we wrote when they opted in is that written in the user's browser? And if so, this variation will run and that variation will always hide this div that contains your um, opt-in form or something like that. Yeah, so let me let me just back up a little bit. Um, if you're not a technical person yourself and I ask if you have a developer on your team, uh, setting up a cookie and 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 uh, reading that uh, at a later stage is fairly easy for any developer to do, right? That's not... Yes. That's not yes. technically challenging. Um, another Anything example, beyond that is a little harder, though. Yeah. So another thing that you mentioned is using uh, Visual Website Optimizer or Optimizely. Optimizely is now out of price range for most businesses, most uh, small businesses, right? However, VWO, uh, Visual Website Optimizer, is not. It, it's quite cheap. And there is a personalization feature that enables mm -hmm. you to, to personalize text and images, exactly as you mentioned, based on the traffic source and other things, the country. Um, so you could start doing a but few it things. But it won't pull from ConvertKit though. That's the only... No. It doesn't, it doesn't draw from outside sources. Yeah, so you would still have to set up a cookie uh, and read this cookie uh, from VWO. Right. Exactly. But if you ask your developer to do that once, then you can play with this with the VWO because it's kind of a visual website uh, way to do stuff. You don't have to code anything anymore in VWO. Correct. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So that's, I mean, that's the way I've even done that for, I'm too lazy to redeploy the app. So I'm going to go into VWO and change a headline I want to change without redeploying it. It's like, I mean, you could use VWO as a very basic content management system if you really wanted to, right? Um, as like changing stuff. And, <laughs> but even before they had the personalization stuff, I was using it as an AB tool, AB testing tool where this variation would always run. And that was my way of kind of hacking, like, you know, that kind of stuff, right? Um, so yeah, I mean, you can do some of that. The only the only drawbacks really, though, to a tool like VWO, and like you said, Optimize is really enterprising now, is you, um, it's really hard to draw from email marketing apps, the data that you keep, tag data, custom fields, all that sort of stuff. Um, that's a little harder to do. And a lot of the things like, looking at their behavior. So what kind of uh, content are they reading on your site? Like in your case, what kind of podcast episodes are they listening to? You could probably infer certain things from that. And I don't think you could easily do that with it. I'm pretty positive. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty positive. The, the extent of VWO's, VWO's segmentation is looking at like what browser are they in? Where did they come from? You know, that, that sort of stuff, right? Like browser specific data. Um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of the middle tier. And then on the high end tier, not high end tier, but on the tier of like really aligning with exactly the stuff we've been talking about. Um, I've got a software product called right message. There's also a few other competitors in the space, like uh, logic Hop, which is WordPress specific and uh, ConvertFlow, which is more of a, they call it on-site retargeting. It's more of not like subtle personalization. It's more about like intercom style pop-up things that are like, Hey, Louis, Louis, or, um, you know, something like that, or, or even like exit modals and all that sort of stuff. Um, so yeah, there are some stuff 
that there are some tools out there that make it relatively simple in the sense of like with right message and convert flow, you literally added line of JavaScript to your footer. So I, 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 I appreciate the fact that you're mentioning competitors uh, alongside your tool, uh, but let's explain how, how what you came up with uh, works. So uh, y the tool you came up with is writemessage.io, right? Right. Yep. Um, so explain to us how, how, how does it work? So what it does out of the box is, like I said, you include a line of JavaScript on your site. And then from there, it's very similar to BWO in the sense that you log into our app and you can click on elements and change the content, hide them, do whatever you want. Very similar what you see is what you get type of interface. The difference, though, is you're able to define segments. And then segment could be the web designer segment. And that could be made up of anyone who comes from one of these websites or they're tagged with web designer or they clicked on an ad on Facebook targeting web designers. Like any of these things could mean they're a web designer. And then what you're able to do is you're able to do interesting things like, you know, if they're on the features page and they're a web designer, change the headline to talk to web designers, change the testimonials to be from other web designers, change. We also have like a, which is one thing VWO doesn't do, which is a find and replace option. So you could say for all these paragraph tags, find any instance of this word and change it to that word, or this phrase and change it to that phrase. So it's more than just setting like the inner content of the element. Instead, you're saying, uh, find this and change it to that, which is actually really, really nice, um, especially because one thing we allow you to do is to stack personalization. So one personalization could be targeting agencies that will swap out freelancer to agency. The next could be targeting designers, which will swap out freelancer to freelance designer and agencies to uh, design agencies. So you're able to get really personalized copy. Um, but that's that's like the that's the bare bones of it. But what we do going beyond that is we're able to look at the kind of behavior that people have, like what are they reading? And you're able to define like, you know, what your site structure is and be able to say, well, if they're reading these kind of these kind of articles in this category, make them likely to be in this segment and segments. And for us are not binary. They could be, you know, if, if you're more than 50 percent positive that they're a designer, show designer testimonials. If you're 80% positive or above, make the headline all about designers or something, right? So you can have it so when you're not too certain if somebody's in a segment, you could do more subtle operations. And then once you're definitely positive they are, you can do more. So that's one thing, which is the, if these conditions are true, if they're on this page or this set of pages, and they're in this segment or they've done this or whatever, they viewed this page, they haven't viewed that page, they've come from here, they haven't come from there, then do this. But we go beyond that by saying, instead of just changing the content on the page or the site, you can also apply a tag and convert it or uh, push them into a specific Facebook custom audience. So you could say, if somebody comes from a design related site, we define that segment and they haven't opted in, push them into a Facebook custom audience targeting designers. So when you run an ad on Facebook, uh, it'll be about like designers and stuff. You know, So you're able to do really uh, well personalized, even remarketing campaigns. So it's like push and pull a little bit. You can use the data and you can also, uh, push data out. Exactly. Yep. So theoretically, if they're on your list and they hit your pricing page, uh, and they, you know, whatever else using say our Zapier integration, you could add a new Trello card or something for yourself to say, Oh, follow up with Brennan who went to my pricing page or something like that. That's pretty cool. Uh, thanks so much for explaining how, how it works and for hopefully giving some uh, food for thoughts for uh, 
the listeners who, who need help on that. Um, moving on to, to bad marketing, because I know we both love to talk <laughs> about marketing bullshit. So why do you think marketers have a bad reputation in general? Well, I'm going to stick to online marketers because I know them the best. <laughs> I think the issue is, is I see this a lot because I've been in the, uh, you know, I, I have on my site call to actions that slide in and are pretty minimal, but they work. And I get people almost weekly emailing me saying like, what plugin are you using to do that? And I'm like, well, it's just, you know, HTML and CSS. I didn't do anything myself. But I think the, the issue is, is you have these people who are like, oh, you know, I hear exit pop-ups work. I hear welcome mats work. I hear slide-ins work. I hear this works. I hear that works. And then you get to these sites that are like Frankensteins in the sense that they're just hitting you with everything. And, you know, I mean, it's just, it makes it really hard. Like the thing that I think works best is when you have a consistent single call to action. The things that actually work well for those, I forgot the, the marketing name, but when you go to like YouTube and the background image and the sidebar ads are all like the same thing right? Like an upcoming film or something. I think that works well because you don't have competing call to actions. I was looking at somebody we're setting up for right message the other day and on their site, on their blog, they have like five different things you can do. So it's like webinar, opt into our list, uh, look at this product. And no one wants to, I mean, people don't want to make those kind of decisions. I mean, they want to, they want to get what they, they want, like, you know, what is the job of the website, right? If I'm going to Everyone hates marketers.com. My job is specific. My job is probably to see, you know, at this point, because I know you and everything else would be what's who's the latest episode. Right. But somebody who is not familiar with your site yet might want to get an understanding of like, what is the what is the premise of this podcast? What are you trying to do with it? Um, so, I mean, there's different kind of intents that people have in, in engaging with a website. And I think a lot of people miss that and just try to like it's like a shotgun, like try to throw, do everything at once and hope something sticks. And I just think that's the issue. That's the it's this, just this overload of tactics that just don't really yield many results, I found. Yeah, it's like, oh, my God, somebody's visiting our website. Let's let's just do something like we, he, he, she or he needs to be on our email list right now. So, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's pretty bad. It's pretty bad. And I, I think in the, in the very near future. Uh, Google and, and, and those kind of big, big, big companies are going to start like really punishing, uh, website doing this kind of stuff more and more. Um, uh, you've seen that with the, you know, accelerated mobile pages, A and P, where they basically go back to the fundamental of HTML pages, which is basically removing everything bar the copy and images, uh, which is, which is going back to 1996, 1997. Uh, and that's because people want to, to just read stuff and watch stuff. They don't want to be interrupted. Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. People want to consume the content and, and you can, you can still achieve your marketing goals, right. By saying, here's a really good article and then having a very good call to action that is relates directly to the article. Right. And that they just read this great piece of content and they're like, yeah, this is great. I wanted I want to take this further now. And you can have something there for them that does that. Right. But if you're just trying to just just do everything, it's just I, I don't know. I mean, it's I think it's again, I think it leads to a very poor user experience, which just doesn't doesn't ultimately help in the way I think a lot of us want it to help. And it's based on a first principle, which is 
it's the paradox of choice. The more the more choice you give uh, to somebody, the more likely, the more unlikely this person will, will make a decision. Uh, which is why in supermarkets, you know, they always try to categorize product into into categories, so it's easier for you to make decisions. As soon as you give more than three or four choices, it becomes overwhelming for people, and they don't know where to start. This, the the typical example will be in a restaurant where where you have a menu with like twenty items for starter, twenty items for mains, twenty items for dessert. You're overwhelmed. And yeah. you can't pick. While if I give you the early bird menu with like two starters, two mains, or two desserts, you're like, well, it's pretty easy. You take a decision fast. So be careful of that. What do you think marketers should learn today that will help them in the next 10 years or even 50 years? Um, you mean technically you'll learn today or more? To help them become, become better marketers in general. Yeah, I mean, I think I think the best thing that you could probably do would be, and I know a lot of marketers say they do this or, or attempt to, but I, I think it, it doesn't work as well as many of us think. Uh, but get better at kind of human psychology and what gets people to make decisions and also um, defining the actual, it's funny, I mean, it's amazing. I've, two things, actually, no, I've got a good answer to your question now. Uh, two <laughs> things. I've been doing a lot of surveying for people joining the right message list and many of them are marketers. And for one thing, most people absolutely suck at segmentation. The majority of people say they do segment based off of customer or non-customer. That's it. There's very few people who are tracking content consumption and, um, you know, interests or demographics or anything like that and using that in the way they send emails uh, and especially in the way that they might tailor, you know, their website or something. Um, because it, at least most email marketing apps do make an attempt to say, we can help you more personalize your messaging. But the extent most people do is, you know, hey, F name or hey, subscriber dot first name or something like that. That is limited, especially considering nowadays you can do things like, you know, show this paragraph if they're this or show that if they're that or, you know, whatever else. That's one thing is the segmentation side of things. I think we could all learn a lot about that. But but kind of preceding that, I think, is really defining the personas of the kind of people who engage with you. So like, you know, who actually uses your products, who uses your service, who views your site, who reads your articles. And really, I mean, the best way of, I think of figuring that out is talking to people. Um, you know, getting one thing, I, I think I, I heard this on Pat Flynn's podcast, people randomly just look at his like new subscriber list and somebody who opted in five minutes ago He'll email them and say, hey, this isn't automated. Would you be up to jumping on a quick Skype call? I'd love to hear about how you found us and what you are hoping for by opting in and that kind of stuff. Like he's, You're able to learn a lot about people um, that way, which you can then extract segments from that, right? You can then extract discrete segments from a lot of those conversations. So even now, like I'm right message. I've got 60 demos lined up. There's no way to sign up on, their, on your own yet. And that's intentional because... I know that I'm talking to so many people and learning about so many different types of businesses and pains and use cases that they have, that all of that is going to trickle into the marketing and the onboarding of the product. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's, you know, those are the two things. Uh, you can't personalize without good segment data. And I think a lot of people just don't have good segmentation in place. Yeah, uh, talking to people is is extremely valuable, not only because you, you'll get new, new information, but we are social animals and 
it's easy to read surveys that you send out. It's easy to like to 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 look at Google Analytics report and look at uh, the age of of uh, your visitors or that kind of stuff. But what is more valuable is when you connect with another human being. You can you can you do have connections beyond just reading a spreadsheet. And it seems like your understanding of people is getting better when you as the more you talk to people because you you are able to 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 really picture who you're going to write this next email to. Uh, that's kind of invaluable in today's world. Last question to you, Brandon. What are the top three resources you would recommend our listeners to uh, to check out? Um, big fan of, uh, he doesn't write much anymore, but um, Patrick McKenzie's blog on Calziumius is really good, uh, just for articles on pricing to just kind of business in general. Um the, the don't call yourself a programmer article he wrote was really good in the sense of really figuring out. Again, this, this stuff tells into products and selling stuff online and everything else. But, you know, what do people actually want from you? What do they, you know, why does somebody hire a programmer? Why does somebody hire a product? Um, so I'd say that. The other thing that I've been really digging into recently has been the whole jobs to be done concept of, you know, everything is a switch. So, you know, if somebody is opting in to your site, they're switching in the sense that they want, they think that this new, they're, you know, they're not opting in because they like giving out their email address. They're opting in because they are hoping it does something for them. Likewise, they're buying not because they like paying for things They're buying because they're hoping by buying, they're going to get something, you know, so figure out what that is, figure out what that, what the job description of your email opt-in or your product is or whatever else. and, And, you know, figure that out. Um, so that's those two. And I've also been reading, uh, I just started reading uh, Chet Holmes' Ultimate Sales Machine, which is uh, a really good book, um, especially for me, I think now, because it talks a lot about uh, kind of like things I've always ignored, like training. And, you know, if you're scaling out a team, you got to make sure that, you know, it's more than just hiring smart people, which, again, that's been helpful for me. But I, there's a lot of really good uh, concepts on like education-based marketing, which is a big thing in terms of like, you know, if that's the name of the game, if your if your model is write content like articles or going podcast or whatever, then link people to, um, uh, you know, like a opt in form for something, right? Like a email course, and then have that email course then prepare them to become customer of the paid product. You're talking about education based marketing, and um, I think he had a lot of good stuff to say about it in his book. Great. Well, thank you so much. You've been amazing. Um, yeah. I thank you for your time once again, um, and I hope that. All the listeners will have picked up stuff uh, to do uh, to personalize their website better so that ultimately internet become uh, a better place. Uh, so, Brian, once again, thank you so much. Yeah, thanks, Louis. That's it for another episode of everyonehatesmarketers.com. And this is the moment where I tell you to subscribe to our email list. So before you leave and go to another podcast or listen to another episode, I don't treat email lists uh, the way people usually treat their email list. I really treat that as a, as a one-to-one conversation. So I'm going to send you very short and personal emails every two weeks, I would say. We, I'll inform you of guests in advance. I'll share with you 
my numbers and how many listens we get. And I'll also ask you for your feedback in terms of the questions we can ask future guests. And perhaps I can also uh, have you on the show uh, someday. So don't be afraid to subscribe. I'm not going to spam you. And you can always uns unsubscribe for sure, if you wish. The second thing we need from you is your harsh and honest feedback. We know that this show is not perfect yet, and we always... Uh, can improve. So you can send us your email at feedback at everyonehatesmarketers.com. Good or bad, please feel free to send me an email. And the last thing I like uh, from you is that if you did like the episode, please share it to your friends, your colleagues, or whoever might like it. And also please review it on iTunes or another service that you might use to listen to your podcast. Because if you leave us a five-star review, it means that more people will be likely to listen and we can spread the word quicker. So thank you so much once again and au revoir. And that's it for another episode of everyonehatesmarketers.com. Thank you so much for listening. I'm super, super grateful. I'd love for you to consider subscribing to my daily newsletter, Monday to Friday, called Stand the Fuck Out Daily. I send very short, hopefully interesting, surprising, shocking, entertaining content to help you stand the fuck out. It's at everyonehatesmarketers.com. You can subscribe for free and obviously unsubscribe whenever you want. I'm just going to read a couple of emails that I got recently as a reply. Juma said, your content attacks the mind primarily, which is such a good thing because most of us are skilled at what we do, but we don't have the courage to do it our way. Mark, who just subscribed a couple uh, days before, said, this is my first issue of your newsletter. Love it. Glad I subscribed. Brianna said, I just realized this morning that my email habit is now to one, skim through the list, two, select all unread industry email except yours, three, delete and don't think twice, four, quickly skim yours. Amy said, also loving the new content is coming from you. It feels really lovely. Candle said, I like your writing a lot. It really resonates. There's so much bullshit out there. It's good to touch the authentic. And Chloe said, where is the I fucking love this email button? Brilliant. I hope you subscribe. You'll be joining more than 14,000 subscribers at this stage, which is crazy. It's the size of a small stadium. Anyway, thank you so much. See you on the other side.